Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live from the studio. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Welcome back. I'm good. It just doesn't feel like it's been that long. You know, here we are again, back to back days. We just recorded the Patreon and I'm excited for a new story. Good. I just like to be told stories. Sure. I mean, that's that's what we do here. We tell Uh, you stories. Exactly. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like baby in a sense because (laughs) it's like story time for me once or twice a week. Yeah, that's very true. You just literally sit and you're like above me on the bed too and like, don't. I should be crisscross applesauce. <laughs> Do not expose where I am sitting right now. Do not tell our listeners that I'm sitting on our bed. <laughs> they know this. We're sitting in a very professional studio. In, but you're elevated. In a big swivel chair. You're on a bigger chair. With a, with a view. This is definitely not my messy bedroom. You have an Edna Modes type chair. What's that big one? That kind of cups you and you spin around Ooh, like an egg chair yeah an that'd egg be chair. sick but yours is higher than mine yeah but yeah basically i feel like this is in a weird way story time for me it for sure is story time for you all the time but anyway yeah. hey our bonus episode came out and when this episode comes out it's already up so if you want to check out an extra episode head over to our patreon do that do it now what is our story this week our story this week is, dare I say, fun. I mean, Uh-oh. dramatic for them when it happened, but I feel like I can say fun for this one because even the two people that are in the story can laugh about it now, so I feel like it's okay to say that. Yeah, I feel like if they're laughing about it now, it's okay. Yeah. And that means that... That means we can laugh about it now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it probably wasn't a crime. <laughs> no, definitely not. We're going to go to the ocean. We're going to be in the ocean today. It's your favorite. Oh, yeah. The ocean. Yeah, it's definitely not going to send me into a panic at the all. deep, vast, oh, unknown, Lord. dark. What do you mean? Nothing scary about the ocean at all. Exactly. I mean, it's just, you know everything about it, and there's nothing... <laughs> in it that might provoke anxiety nothing scary nothing big nothing undiscovered nothing at all no right it's completely mapped out so i don't know why i don't get why you're scared of it i'm i'm not right great glad we got that straightened out let's jump in so let's jump into the story okay in march of 2002 35 year old melissa armstrong had just quit her job as a hotel manager in toronto After years of living in the city and working the same position, she had grown extremely tired of her day-to-day and wasn't feeling fulfilled. Because she was in search of a change in her life and a bit of adventure, she decided to quit her job and travel. And Melissa ended up in the Solomon Islands. The Solomon Islands is an island country consisting of six major islands and over 900 smaller islands in Oceania, which is about a three-hour flight from Australia. And it's a very tropical destination, very beautiful. So Melissa decided to go there because she found a job working with a marine researcher, David Tomlinson. Melissa had just gone through a film editing course in Australia when she met David. The two of them were planning on going around the world, making short films together. But when they got to the Solomons, David got tied up with a project there, and that initial film project sort of got thrown out the window. 
David had began diving in 1963 in the Bahamas and had seen things that not many people ever got to see in their lifetimes. David Tomlinson has helped people explore and research some of the most remote parts of the ocean for over 30 years. In that time, David has discovered shipwrecks, war graves, and much more. However, on this trip, he and Melissa would be going out to explore the waters above Kavachi Volcano. And because they were planning on making films together, David brought his film underwater camera along with them. Kavachi is one of the most active submarine volcanoes in the southwest Pacific Ocean. The volcano erupts nearly continuously, and residents of the nearby islands often report visible steam and ash. Kavachi is also known as Sharkcano because the area around the volcano has many hammerhead sharks. Cool. <laughs> nice. Kavachi would be their subject since David had been studying the volcano for years. There was a portion of the volcano that was actually above water for a time. However, David filmed an eruption, and after that one eruption, the volcano disappeared under the waves. So this trip out to the volcano with Melissa was to see what was left over of Kavachi under the water. So it, it was above the water, it erupted, and then now it's under the water. Isn't that cool? What? It like shot itself back down? Yeah. Whoa. Part of the volcano was above the, was above the water, it erupted, and then it went back under the water. Did he capture it being above? Yeah. Whoa, so he got like the one moment that, like the first moment that it was above water? Or one of the moments, yes. And then he, and then it went back underwater. That's crazy. Yeah, so they were going out there to then now dive in the waters above Kavachi because now it's under the water. Okay. So that's I guess, what they were doing. Yeah, when you were saying it's a super active volcano, I'm like, why would we want to be around it? But I guess if it's continuously erupting, it's not going to have a big eruption. You know, it's always kind of being vented. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. Still spooky. Still spooky. On their boat that day was David, Melissa, and two men, Stephen and Peter, who would be driving the boat. It was a beautiful day, the weather was good, and David expected their trip to go perfectly. The dive site was 20 miles offshore. Melissa had been scuba diving before, but this was going to be the farthest from shore she had ever gone diving, and her first open water dive. On the way out, she was really excited and felt good about the dive, but once she got out there, it was a different story. Once they got to the dive spot, it really hit her that she was in the middle of the ocean, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And when the boat stopped, something in Melissa changed. She felt like something was very wrong, and she was extremely anxious. David picked up on her nerves and asked if everything was okay, and she said that she was okay, but was just a little bit nervous. Also, they're not dating. I don't know. They might be. <laughs> because one source said she was working for him, and the other source said, lady friend, Melissa, so I don't know if it was a date. They're dating. dating. <laughs> maybe. Very much maybe. He asked what she was nervous about, which made her a little embarrassed to give him the answer because she wanted to be cool like these guys, but she was afraid of sharks. And believe me, Melissa, I understand the yeah, fear. Yeah, it's almost like they could eat you and there's <laughs> right. a reason to be anxious. Right. David told her that she didn't need to worry about sharks. He told her they're much more afraid of us than we are of them, which feels like a lie to me. But he told her that sharks rarely bother divers since they're going to be so far down in the water. 
If they were going to be up on the surface, like a surfer splashing around, then they would start to look more like shark bait. But since they're going to be so far down, they had nothing to worry about. One of the other guys then chimed in and said, I wouldn't be so scared of swimming with the sharks. I'd be more scared that I was diving right on top of an active volcano. <laughs> Not helpful, Steven. What yeah, the fuck? Literally. So <laughs> Melissa takes a second to think about what he just said to her because she didn't even once consider that to be something she should worry about. But of course, now she's worried about that. <laughs> Melissa, if you're an anxious lump... This is not the place for you. Right. So now she's worried about sharks and a volcano exploding. But seeing her panic, David told her not to listen to him. If it wasn't safe, they would not be there. Although David wasn't being entirely truthful with Melissa. He knew from the local fishermen that there had been a couple of very big hammerhead sharks that had been bothering the fishermen in the area. But he wasn't about to tell her that there were hammerhead sharks in the area while she was freaking out. So he decided not to tell her. David had dived with sharks before and was confident that they wouldn't get attacked while they were underwater. He was honestly more concerned about the weather. He had spotted a funny-looking dark cloud off in the distance, but it seemed far enough away that they wouldn't have to worry about it. But he did keep a very close eye on the weather since they were so exposed where they were. David was confident that they would be in and out of the water long before the cloud would reach them. The plan was to only dive for around half an hour, and as they geared up, David went over exactly where they'd be dropped off and where they should resurface with the men who'd be staying on the boat. Melissa didn't pay too much attention to the conversation because David was really the one in charge of the dive, and she was way too concentrated on her growing anxiety. Meanwhile, David hopped in the water. Melissa then looked to the other two guys in the boat and said, Here I go, pray for me, and hopped in. But she was thinking to herself, oh God, why did I say that? <laughs> kind of like when you're in elementary school and you call your teacher mom. Just, <laughs> just kind of mortified, you know? She was like, God, why did I say that? <laughs> I, don't know, I think it's funny. Yeah, but so once they're on the water, the dive was completely different than anything Melissa had ever experienced. There was a ton of sea life surrounding the volcano, so they saw so many beautiful fish and they swam through these white plumes that were coming up around them because the volcano was giving off these, you know, plumes of gases and whatever that they swam through. And there were bubbles coming up all around them from the vents of Kavachi. Kavachi was actually too deep under the water for them to actually see it, but they went through so many of these clouds of sulfur dioxide coming up from the volcano. And after 30 minutes, Melissa and David had completed their dive. But when they resurfaced, they noticed that the weather had changed a lot. The dark cloud that David spotted earlier was now above them, and the water was very choppy. Melissa then spotted their boat off in the distance. It seemed like it was miles away from where they came up. The current had been so strong that it pulled the two of them so much farther away from the boat than they had expected. They had a whole plan for where they should have been picked up down current, but as a bit of a safety net, the men on the boat were supposed to be following their air bubbles to like watch where they should be coming up. However, they lost the air bubbles, so they didn't know where they were going to come up. So David started yelling and waving his arms, that way the men could hopefully spot them in the water. But Melissa and David came up behind the boat, what seemed like miles away from it. So Melissa tries yelling and waving as well, but the men are not spotting them in the water. And David realized that they have the engines running on the boat, which is why they can't hear the yelling. 
and they can't spot them because they came up so much farther away than where they planned. At that point, Melissa didn't know how much trouble they were actually in. She thought it would be fine and was just looking forward to getting on the boat and wrapping herself in a towel. But when David kept screaming for them to cut the engine and waving his arms more frantically, she realized that the boat hadn't turned around yet and come to get them. She asked David why they hadn't turned around for them, but he couldn't answer that question. He was too busy screaming at the top of his lungs to try to get them spotted. The two men on the boat knew David and Melissa must have been out of air and completed their dive by now, and were expecting to see them resurface, but the dark sky made them impossible to spot. They needed to keep the engine on because it was keeping the boat in the position that it needed to be in to retrieve the divers. But they didn't know that the divers were actually being pulled further away by the strong current. To David and Melissa, it looked like the boat was getting further and further away, but actually it was them who were getting pulled further away. The boat was actually staying in the same place. And David was getting angry because they were at the mercy of the current. That must have been so frustrating. I know, it's like right there. Like, you can see them. They could see you, but I'm sure it's just really hard. Yeah, and they weren't expecting to see them where they came up, so they weren't necessarily looking exactly where they came up. Right. Their situation was about to get even worse, because the men on the boat had been running the engines the entire time to keep it in place, which burnt up almost all of their fuel. If they didn't leave soon, they too would be stranded in the middle of the ocean. One of the men, in a desperate attempt to locate David and Melissa, dove in the water with just some goggles to try and locate them just, you know, under the water. But he had no idea how far away they actually were at that point. So with the fuel almost gone, Stephen and Peter had no choice but to return to the island to get help. So all Melissa and David could do was watch the boat get smaller and smaller until it disappeared altogether and they were left in the middle of the ocean. The nearest land was more than 20 miles away. Oh my god. Around that time, they had been in the water for around an hour. They still had faith that the boat would come back and get them, but the more they waited, the more anxious they became. David knew they were in really big trouble. Melissa asked if they could swim for it, but David told her no, it would be way too far, and they were going to be looking for them, so they should stay put, that way they make it as easy as possible for them to be found. He told Melissa the men most likely went to go get gas and would be coming back for them. It would be an hour journey for them to go get gas and an hour to come back, so by that logic, they should have been out of the water by 4pm the latest. I have a feeling that is not going to be the case. You would be correct. Melissa wanted to believe that, but in the back of her mind, the uncertainty crept back in. She then started noticing that David had his mask on and was looking down into the water, which made her scared because in her mind, he was looking for sharks. He told her that he was just trying to be aware, but her response to him was, I just really, really don't want to get eaten by a shark. And that is fair. And that is so valid, Queen. <laughs> Speak you your are mind. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> Which is when she became very angry because it was his responsibility to keep them safe on this dive, and it was his fault that they were in this mess. So, as anyone may have reacted, she cursed him out. And I don't know exactly what she said, but both of them were like, Yeah, I, I cursed him out real bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'd be doing the same thing to him. Absolutely. Why weren't you keeping an eye on the boat 
Or how deep were they? I mean... Well, they couldn't have kept an eye on the boat from under the water, but they should have had a better idea of, like, the currents or a better safety measures in place. I don't know. There should have just been more... Don't you like... bring a rope? I don't think so. Oh, okay. What do I know? <laughs> We're gonna get more emails about this. Yeah. David definitely felt bad because as more and more time passed, things just kept getting worse. After Melissa screamed at David, the two ignored each other for a while and didn't think about the fact that they were floating in a powerful current. And finally, when Melissa turned to look at David, she realized that she was very far away from him. They had drifted apart. <laughs> like, literally. They had, <laughs> they had just drifted apart. So she called out to him. <laughs> she served him papers. <laughs> right. So she called out to him, which got his attention. And the two then had to swim back together. That way they didn't lose each other in the current as well. And swimming through that current was difficult. But when they finally reached each other, they realized that they needed to figure out a more secure way to stay together because <laughs> <laughs> they needed to communicate better, is what I'm saying. And they went to couples therapy. <laughs> exactly. They couldn't let that happen again. David took her regulator and shoved it into his vest and tied it, which made it so that they couldn't get separated because separation at a time like that could mean life or death. So at least they felt like they had some kind of control over the situation that they were in. This is the like literal reality of the situation is hilarious because it is so metaphorically relevant to like a crumbling relationship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> David then told Melissa they should try to conserve their energy since that was the most important thing. The plan was that Melissa would wrap her legs around David's waist and her arms around his neck to relax for a while. From the back or the front? The front. They're wearing scuba gear. They're dating. <laughs> They're in a survival situation. They are dating. You don't do that in a non Like, even in a survival situation, you do it from the back. Are you kidding me? You koala him. She's koalaing him for her life. Don't give me that look. <laughs> She's holding on for literal life. Come on. Goodbye. So She's holding on for life and love, baby. Okay, whatever. Scuba divers will use something called a buoyancy control device, a BCD, and this is a bladder that can be inflated or deflated, controlling the diver's buoyancy. So the BCD can be a wraparound jacket style or as simple as a wing harness with just a bladder and straps, but they were wearing like the jacket style. And how much air is inside your device in combination with your body weight and your gear weight determines how buoyant you are. Inflating it increases the upward force, causing you to rise in the water, while deflating it increases your downward force and lets you dive deeper. So I'm assuming that they inflated it so that they were floating and really didn't have to tread water all that much. Oh, okay. So it's like a quasi-life vest? Yes, correct. Okay. Which made it so that Melissa could kind of koala on him and it wouldn't make him sink. Right. And it wasn't weird. And it wasn't weird, and it's not about them dating. But they probably are. Okay. Meanwhile, the boatmen had finally made it to shore and had alerted local fishermen that their friends were missing and that they needed their help finding them. When they hear that, they spring into action because these locals know the sea around this island well, and they know that there are giant hammerhead sharks that are in that area, which means that they might not have very long to find Melissa and David before they were lunch. 
Or dinner. Or dinner. Or Sounds snack. Sounds like it's getting later. Right. <laughs> right. You know? So search parties go out on multiple boats to search for the two of them. By that time, they had been in the water for two hours. They could only hope that help was on its way, but with each passing hour, they got more and more discouraged. David still hadn't told Melissa about these giant hammerheads that he knew patrolled the area. I guess at that point, why would he? But he was definitely worried about running into one of them. Even though Melissa didn't know there were confirmed sharks in the area, she was still picturing them circling below or one of them coming up from the depths and biting into them with their enormous jaws. Melissa was still holding on to David at that point, but she felt something touch her leg, which freaked her the hell out. So she screamed and said something touched her leg and basically started flailing around and tried to get whatever touched her leg away from her. But David told her that it was just his gauge that touched her leg and she needed to stop flailing around. She got angry because he hasn't once mentioned the possibility of sharks. So she started yelling again and saying that it could have been a shark and why wouldn't he say it? Kind of challenging him. So David said that, yeah, there could have been sharks. And if you keep flailing around, you're definitely going to attract one. So you need to stop. And that's fair. By that time, the search parties had finally reached Kavachi. But they had no idea that David and Melissa had already drifted miles away in the current. They continued searching around the volcano, but with no luck, because that's not where they were anymore. It had been four hours since they had gotten in the water. It was almost 5 p.m., so David's timetable that they would be rescued by 4 p.m. was clearly wrong. They were still 20 miles from land, and there was no sign of rescue. It was very clear to Melissa that David wanted to stay put, he wanted to conserve his energy, and he didn't want to splash around because he was concerned that it would attract sharks. But Melissa, who had looked all around them and had seen that land was very far off in the distance, felt like they didn't have any other option. She told David she thought that they should at least try to swim. And at that point, David knew there was no telling her otherwise, so he told her, okay, but they needed to take it nice and slow and don't splash around too much. He told Melissa not to kick too hard because she'd run out of energy, but what he really meant was that he didn't want to attract any unwanted attention to them and become part of the food chain. So while Melissa kept her face out of the water to scan from above, David kept his face in the water to watch out from below. As they slowly swam, Melissa said her mind started playing tricks on her, because as she'd be scanning, she'd think that she would see a fin, but there was never actually anything there. But there were multiple times where Melissa would gasp, thinking she saw something, and they'd stop dead in their tracks, but then have to start back up again because there was nothing there. It was a constant battle to keep her imagination at bay. It had been around six hours in the water at that point. They continued to slowly swim forward. However, out of nowhere, Melissa flinched and said she felt something bite her. And then again, she screamed out in pain, which is when David felt like something bit him as well. The two of them looked down into the water and saw that they had unknowingly swam into a swarm of millions of these translucent jellyfish. David told her, It hurts, but it isn't going to kill them, so they need to swim through the swarm. They swam through countless amounts of them, and they were getting stung all over their bodies. At one point, Melissa tried counting the amount of stings as she went through them, and after making it to 64, she lost count, and it felt like all of them blended into one. It was just a constant stinging pain, until finally they made it past. 
But in order to get past the jellyfish, they broke David's golden rule. Don't splash around on the surface. Very ominous ending there. I guess I don't know how bad it hurts. You've never been stung by a jellyfish? No. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, I've only ever seen a jellyfish, like, washed up. And then my mom was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, don't touch it. Yeah. You dumb shit. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen many people be stung by jellyfish. I grew up in a beach town, so. Beaching. Plenty of jellyfish out there. Sure. And I'm pretty sure that, like, there's a season for them. Like, I think the end of the summer is, like, jellyfish season. Word. I think that I have been stung, but it was by a different, definitely a different type of jellyfish. So it wasn't, Makes a lot of sense. yeah, it wasn't this like immediate sting, but yeah, they, I mean, they swam through like millions of these jellyfish. When you get, you count up to, she counted to 65. Yeah. 64. But 64. Yeah. But then and, she lost count. So and yes. And then lost count. Correct. That's insane. They were covered in red welts and were in a lot of pain, but decided to keep swimming forward because what the hell else are you going to do? David again put his face in the water to watch underneath them as they swam, and as they moved forward, he saw this little dot emerging from the depths until it got bigger and bigger, and he jerked Melissa to the right abruptly. There was a five and a half foot barracuda coming up straight toward his face from the depths. Barracuda are snake-like in appearance, with prominent, sharp-edged, fang-like teeth, much like piranhas, all of different sizes set in sockets of their large jaws. They have large, pointed heads with an underbite in many species, so they're ugly as shit. <laughs> and David knew that barracudas have been known to attack people before. They are ferocious, opportunistic predators and rely on surprise and short bursts of speed up to 27 miles per hour to overtake their prey. Oh my god. If this barracuda bit one of them and drew blood, they would be floating shark bait. Yeah. I mean, imagine you're like looking down to like watch the deep and you see a little dot and then it gets bigger and bigger until you see an ugly barracuda come up and up and up until it's right at your face. Yeah, it's like an ugly sprinter water snake. Yeah, swimming 27 miles at your face. Yeah, no. 27 miles per hour. No. Mm -mm. So David thankfully had his camera with him and used it to ram the barracuda in the face to try and scare it away. And after hitting it, it did circle around them, but then ultimately swam off. The oh, two, he just smashed it in the face? Yeah. Fuck the yeah. two could not believe that it didn't do anything else. And after it swam off, David told Melissa it was gone, but then they were even more on edge because they couldn't afford to be surprised by one of those again, because if they were bit, even if they were nicked by one of those crazy teeth, they would be toast. Yeah. One drop of blood, toast. Around that time, the search parties decided to retreat back to land for the night. Daylight was fading fast, and they weren't going to be found in the dark. The fishermen agreed that they would start again at first light, but they all felt that by that time they would be searching for bodies rather than for anyone alive. Melissa and David had been in the water for seven hours as the sun went down. They felt extremely sad and hopeless. Melissa didn't understand why no one came back for them. David, who was trying to keep on a brave face, told her that they should just try and keep swimming since they were covering good ground. But inside, he was dreading the nighttime because he knew that a lot of animals come up to the surface to feed at night. He felt at that point they were going to get eaten. 
It's not an if, it's a when. They were still 15 miles from land, and their only option was to keep swimming. Over 1,000 miles away in Brisbane, Australia, David's brother Owen was at home when he received a call that David had gone missing. It was around 6.30 p.m. when he received the call from David's secretary. He was told that his brother had gone out diving and never came back up. So Owen immediately thought about his 90-year-old mother and how she wouldn't have been able to handle losing another one of her children. David and Owen had recently lost one of their sisters in her fight with cancer, and Owen knew that his mother couldn't take another loss like that. So he immediately booked a flight down to the Solomon Islands to try and find his brother himself. The first flight out was at 3.30 in the morning, so his brother had to wait around eight hours or so before he could even do anything, knowing that his brother was somewhere out there in the middle of the ocean. At around the 11-hour point, it was very dark. The two were still swimming, but David quickly picked his head up out of the water and told Melissa to stop moving. She asked him why. He told her that he noticed every time they moved, the water started glowing. The reason for this was they were swimming through microscopic plankton in the water and any sudden movement would make them glow. It's kind of like fireflies, but in the ocean. Whoa. So it's bioluminescent plankton or bioluminescent algae. And some of this bioluminescent algae can have severe effects on human health and should not be touched. So when I looked it up, I was like, is this, what is this? And, and it was like, actually, it's toxic. So I was like, oh, Bro, what? oh no. It said, do not swim in waters containing algal blooms. No matter how beautiful they are, direct contact could lead to skin infections or even death. Not all of these blooms are harmful, and I, and I don't think that the blooms that they were in were, but isn't that crazy? The first thing that I googled, it was like, this is toxic and could kill you. Whoa. Yeah. So every time they moved, their arms or legs, they were glowing in the water, and it was nighttime, and they were in very deep, very dark water. So David was extremely scared to have them continue moving because they were basically creating a beacon for sharks or predators below and saying, hey, there's something up here, come eat us, you know? Yeah. Which meant that they could not keep swimming or move at all. And without swimming, their body temperatures plummeted. They were exhausted. There was nothing to stand on or lean on, and it was incredibly uncomfortable. David had Melissa stretch out and lay on him. That way she could conserve as much energy as possible and rest as much as possible. She had taken off her mask and was holding it in her hand, but at some point had dropped it. And that was awful because it was such an important tool as far as survival went, but there was no getting it back. It sank and they were in the deep. It had been 12 hours at this point, And as she lay back on David, Melissa felt something brush up against her leg. Oh, no. Which sent ice through her veins because immediately she was thinking sharks. Remember that bioluminescent algae that stopped them from swimming? Well, it was lighting up around them, but it was not because they were moving. It's because things were moving around them. Oh. All around them, they see these big flashes as things swim around them. They saw these explosions of light all around them, and they had no idea what was swimming around them, but they were expecting to be hit by something at any moment. The fear was unbelievable. 
The night out there was the most stressful time David said he'd ever had in his entire life, and he has never felt so hopeless. Every minute that passed, they became less convinced that they were ever going to get out of it. At around the 13-hour mark was when they started telling each other what they wanted to tell their loved ones should the other make it out alive. David told Melissa if she made it out alive to tell his kids that he loved them, and she wanted him to tell her mom and dad that they were good parents. Both of them started crying and held on to each other and reassured each other that they would make it out of this alive, but both of them at that point were basically accepting death and didn't believe that they were going to live. Their spirits had gotten so low that at one point, Melissa was contemplating asking David to just hold her under the water to put her out of her misery. But she decided that she couldn't do that to her family. She couldn't dishonor them like that, which is when she told David that she didn't care if she died. She had to die trying. They couldn't stay there anymore. They had to keep swimming. This feels very Dory from Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Just keep swimming. (laughs) Bad time? Sorry. I know we just talked about the sad moments, but... Yeah, I'm still in the sad moment. I'm thinking about Dory. I, I feel mean, like we might... I might make the, the title. Just keep swimming? I mean, it's not bad. I mean, <laughs> what else are they going to do? They, like, ha- they had to real. just keep going. But now they're swimming through bioluminescent algae. David hesitantly agreed... And again, told her to just take it very slow because they're going through bioluminescent algae. He's like, I guess just take it slow. Yeah. At around 18 hours in the water, the sun finally came back up. They were so happy to be able to have light again. And they saw that the land was actually tangible from where they were. Melissa's eyes were absolutely glued to the land. It was all she could think about. And the fact that they had made progress gave her a renewed energy. David, however, was in much worse shape. Not only was he 20 years older than Melissa, but he had let her rest in the night, but he had not slept at all since 6 a.m. the previous morning. He'd been awake for a full 24 hours at that point. He was exhausted, and that's when Melissa noticed that he'd started acting very erratically. She'd watch as his face would fall into the water and his snorkel would be just about an inch from going under the water and then she would nudge him and his head would pop up. So he was like falling asleep under the water and he almost drowned like a couple of times. That's not good. No. So Maybe see, give him some sleep. Yeah, but they had to keep swimming. Do the chest thing for him. That's not very Dory of you. I mean, I didn't know he was 20 years older than her. Daddy. I mean, daddy, <laughs> what the fuck? Daddy buck up <laughs> get some sleep how old is he i don't know i don't know is she like 25 and he's like 45 yeah something like that oh boy but seeing him like that scared her a lot because it felt like he could drown at any moment and it's because he could drown at any moment <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was around that time that owen tomlinson finally made it to the island and since there was no official search and rescue he went to a place where he could book a private helicopter but they weren't just waiting around for him to show up they were you know busy doing other things so when he finally told them he was there because his brother had gone missing near Kavachi, they told him that he needed to take a seat since they had to see if they had any helicopters available He was upset because he wanted to get out at first light, but it ended up being more like 8 a.m. by the time they got a chopper up there looking for them. 
It had been 20 hours in the water. David and Melissa had swam 14 miles without rest, food, or water, and they were still six miles from land. Not only that, but the sun that they were so happy to see once again was now beating down on them and burning any exposed skin. Melissa felt the whole side of her face burning, her lips were blistered, her skin was extremely soft and flaking, and she said like it felt like the salt water was eating her alive. Their skin was so wrinkly and soft, and they were incredibly weak. David was physically and mentally exhausted. They were dehydrated, starving, and they had been in survival mode for 20 hours, so he was running on less than empty. He was starting to not think straight and even began hallucinating. Melissa said at one point David looked at land and said, Oh, look at those condominiums. There definitely were not any condominiums. So that's when she knew David was fading and was really starting to worry that he would die out there. He was reaching total exhaustion. But just when he thought he couldn't go on anymore, they heard something that they had been waiting to hear. The low rumbling of a helicopter. And almost immediately, David snapped out of whatever craziness he was in. He pointed up to the sky and screamed that there was a helicopter. Both of them began yelling out with excitement and waving their arms, believing they had finally been saved. It was the helicopter that had been chartered by David's brother, Owen. So rescue was finally in sight for them. It was the most beautiful thing they had ever seen in their lives. But as excited as they were, their wetsuits were black and blue, and they didn't stick out in the vast stretch of ocean. David knew they had to use something to reflect light so that they could spot them. They used their goggles, their watches, anything they could, but as soon as the helicopter arrived, they saw it turn and fly away, and they knew that the helicopter hadn't seen them. The only thing they could do was continue swimming forward toward the land. They had been in the water for 24 hours, and they were only four miles from the land. But for David, this would be the most terrifying part of their journey. He didn't tell Melissa that this stretch of the water would be the most dangerous, but he was definitely shaken in his fins. Where they were swimming was an area that people would regularly come to fish because there is so much sea life. But like I mentioned in the beginning, the local fishermen had been having run-ins with two gigantic hammerhead sharks in that area. Gigantic meaning over 20 feet long. Bro... What the fuck? 20 feet? Over 20 feet long. And to make matters even worse, David's fins had been chafing his ankles and he had been unknowingly bleeding into the water for a while. Great. Hammerhead sharks can smell one drop of blood in a million drops of seawater. So that's that's good. Yeah, sick. Hammer- I mean, it's 20 feet? That's like a bus. Yeah. Watch out for the bus shark. <laughs> shark Kano. That's what that's what the volcano's called, Shark Kano, because there's so many Wait, sharks. Really? Yeah, I said at the beginning. I missed it. There's so many sharks around the volcano. It's called Shark Kano. Gigantic hammerhead sharks. Twenty feet long. Yeah, miss me with that. Yeah. Thank you. Hammerheads are aggressive hunters, feeding on smaller fish, octopuses, squid, and crustaceans. They do not actively seek out human prey, but are very defensive and will attack when provoked. So of all the sharks to be prowling the area, this was one of the best case scenarios because there has never been a fatal hammerhead shark attack on a human. 
Really? There's never been a fatal attack. There has been attacks, but not fatal. That just seems so surprising. So they're like chill. To an extent. I mean, they're they're like buses, but they're chill. Although it is suggested that you never stick around near a hammerhead to find out. So, so not the worst case scenario, but also it is still a shark over 20 feet long or six plus meters long. So in my scientific opinion, you should not fuck around and find out. Do not fuck around and find out. Don't be the first. Yeah, exactly. But they didn't have any other option. And David was bleeding profusely into the water unknowingly, which is not very chill of David, if you ask me. Unchill, but like, let's acknowledge that humans are undefeated versus hammerhead sharks. (laughs) We have a clean record. Don't (laughs) fuck this up, David. So as they swam, David had his mask on and watched below as Melissa patrolled above. And she started seeing what looked like a piece of plastic sticking up out of the water. She said it almost looked like the top of a kayak sticking up out of the water until she realized that it was not a kayak. It was a fin, the fin of a very big shark. And as it circled them, they could only watch in horror and hope that with all the bad luck that they've had, that they'll have at least a little bit of good luck. If it does eat them, it'll eat them in one bite and take them out of their misery, or even better than that, that this shark is not hungry. Because David got a look at it, and it was over 20 feet long, and it was the hammerhead shark that has been patrolling the area. Great. Yeah. We'll call him Steve. Sure. It kept circling them, and then disap- King? I'm sorry. (laughs) Fuck off, Steve. It kept circling them, and then disappeared under the water, But even when they couldn't see it, the fear was still very real because they knew in the back of their minds that it was still somewhere nearby. But with no other choice, after an agonizing 26 hours in the ocean, they made one desperate attempt to reach land. By that time, they were finally just a few hundred yards from the island. However, the closer they got, the more they saw that there wasn't a nice sandy beach for them to just land on. The shoreline was made up of jagged rocks and crashing waves. It would be extremely dangerous for them to enter the island that way. The waves crashing into the rocks were dangerous enough, but their skin was so delicate and basically mushy from being submerged in the water for so long that if they were thrown into the rocks, they would literally be torn apart. David looked down at his hands, and they were unbelievably wrinkled. He saw that on one of his thumbs... On the corner of where the nail meets his skin, a bit of his flesh had literally fallen off. That's how delicate and soft his skin was. Yeah. So they had to make an impossible decision. The rocks may have been lethal, but the shark could return. Not to mention they had been without water or food for over 24 hours at that point. So they worked out the best plan that they could. They decided they would take their vests off their backs and wear them over their stomachs and kind of body surf in on them. That way, if they did slam into the rocks, it wouldn't tear through their vital organs. Cool. But right before they began their final swim in, David, for whatever reason, turned and looked to the left and said, well, I'll be damned. When he turned, he saw a boat headed straight toward them. Well, I'll be damned. The timing was unbelievable. Melissa and David started laughing and yelling and waving their arms as the boat drove right up next to them. 
The men on the boat pulled them inside, and they were wrapped in towels and immediately given water. Melissa said when she was pulled out, she was like a crazy mad woman. She just couldn't stop laughing. David and Melissa swam 20 miles and were in the water for over 26 hours before they were rescued and returned to dry land. Once on dry land, David was reunited with his brother Owen, which was an amazing feeling. And Owen said that he didn't know whether to hug him or hit him, but since he was sunburned, he opted for the hug. And David said ever since then, when he wakes up, he feels extremely grateful to start a new day. When he talks about it, he doesn't have any ill will toward the guys on the boat who lost them. He said they're nice kids. And he considers the whole thing to just be a bad day at the office. And he can totally laugh about it now, which is great. Yeah, the office. Yeah, I mean, because he's a marine biologist, you know? I mean, sure, but... So, as far as I know, David still lives in the Solomon Islands and dives regularly. But Melissa returned home and hasn't done an open water dive since, and I cannot blame her. Absolutely not. And the two of them did stay close friends, as far as I know. And that is the story of David and Melissa and their horrifying experience in the Solomon Islands. Yeah, I mean, what a journey. You know, the initial part where they were like, are we going to get found? And they have to realize they're going to swim 20 miles. Yeah. Bioluminous and plankton algae that were toxic, but not, but probably things around them, the barracuda. How about the 20-foot tw- shark? Not to mention the 20-foot shark. When I was, just when I was, came and went? Yes, because hammerheads are not like they don't go after large prey. They're chill. They will attack. And they have, but they don't typically go after large prey. They go after smaller prey. So it was the best case scenario, but still horrifying. Like, could you imagine being face to face with a 20 foot hammerhead shark? No. I simply can't imagine it. Yeah, no. When I was doing my research and it said that David had been unknowingly bleeding into the water for however long and they were entering the part of the water that was that definitely had hammerhead sharks in it. I was like, oh. <laughs> like how, how do they get out of this oh one? God. Yeah. Oh, golly. What are they going to do? Yeah. The worst time to bleed, David. Yeah. I can't believe you would do that. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how delicate people are, but also how resilient they are. Because, like, the salt water was eating away at them. Like, their skin was so delicate that, like, his fins made him bleed yeah well i mean if you soak yourself for 24 hours i mean i can't imagine that your skin's very tight no it's know? not i mean if i'm in a, a bathtub for more than 10 minutes i get wrinkly so yeah that can't be good but just the thought of being in water that deep for any period of time for two minutes it's too much yeah, I think this, I can confidently say this would never be you. I wouldn't even jump off of the boat, let alone go diving. Yeah, I might. But I'm going to be on a rope. <laughs> I need, <laughs> if they had I need a, a way to get back. Well, yeah. But this happens. People get left. Have you heard of people who go out with like a bunch of people diving and then the people in charge like miscount and they leave people out there? Nope. That's happened. I mean, I'm not denying. I'm just saying I don't pay attention to the scuba news. (laughs) Well, you should be up on the scuba news, clearly. I don't give a shit. I could give less. There's so many other things to pay attention to. There's no way. Totally. But I just have heard of people being left by boats when they were scuba diving and they're left in the middle of the ocean. This is not the first time. 
and I'm sure it won't be the last, but don't let it be you. Ah, I hope it's the last. I mean, we got to be realistic. Yeah, no, it won't be me. I can promise you that. It's not going to be me. Owen, really, save the day? I mean, if they had to go through those rocks, it might have been the end. It wasn't Owen. The boat wasn't Owen. Oh, for real? It was just the local fishermen who found them. How lucky. I know. Yeah, Owen chartered that air, that helicopter, and the helicopter didn't even find them. <laughs> and it's actually funny because um, David ended up paying for the helicopter that didn't find him, and it was like somewhere around like $18,000 for a helicopter that didn't 18, find him. <laughs> geez. For wow. A, for a helicopter that didn't find him. <laughs> God, I can't think of a more heartbreaking check to hand over. Right. Than 18 G's for something that didn't even help you out. Yep. Yeah, no, it was the local fishermen who went out and looked for them. But What year was this? 2002. So that's like three cars that you had to pay for something to not do anything. It was a private helicopter. Stop it. Also, did they not take like a down payment? Like what? <laughs> What did Owen do to get the helicopter? Oh, no, he did. He he gave over like a credit card, but then David ended up, I guess, paying him back. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, that's their story. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's a really cool story. Terrifying. The whole terrifying, way. The but... whole way. Terrifying. Yeah. Perseverance. All the things. Absolutely. What is your good thing this week? My good thing is that I am going out with my friends tomorrow. We're going to go out and we're going to dance and it's going to be so fun. You're going to shake ass? Yeah. We Fuck are going to yeah. shake ass. Sounds fun. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. What's your um, good thing? Oh, my good thing is that we got a pool table at work and we we did a pool twice and it was fun. Good. Simple. Simple. I'm a simple guy. Okay. Well, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to check out the bonus episode that just went up, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to send to us and potentially hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.